0: The following audio is from Steadfast Church in Asheville, North Carolina. We exist for maturing and multiplying disciples in Asheville aimed beyond for the glory of God. For more resources from Steadfast Church or to partner with us on mission, visit steadfastavl.org. Today we, we come to Luke's gospel here in chapter 4 to see... That Jesus came to proclaim good news. He came to proclaim good news. Uh, We're in Luke chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 14. And because of what is in this uh, scripture, specifically a practice, an ancient practice, I would invite you to stand one more time as we read God's word. And we stand in reverence to the word of God. (laughs) Starting in verse 14. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be, to God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Now we're going to begin today um, in our first, our first point, just talking, number one, that Jesus begins his public ministry. Jesus begins his public ministry. To give you a little context... First of all, each each author of the the Gospels wrote for a different uh, purpose. Luke, if, if you read in the first uh, couple of verses, Luke says that he he set about to put into order all the things that Jesus did, and it doesn't necessarily mean. Chronological order, but to put into an orderly fashion the things that Jesus had done. So, Luke is is the most historical of the gospel writers. In Luke chapter three, now we have we have the the advent of Christ, the the announcement of of Mary's pregnancy, and uh, all those different things. The birth of Christ all happened in the first couple of chapters. Uh, John the Baptist comes along, and he his birth is kind of. Uh, unusual as well. But in, in uh, Luke chapter 3, we find that Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist, who is his cousin of, of all things. And at that baptism, the Holy Spirit comes upon him like a dove. This is going to be very important, this, this emphasis Luke has on the Holy Spirit, you'll see. The Father calls from heaven and says, "'You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased.'" And that is the launching of Jesus' public uh, ministry. But instead of just immediately going into ministry mode and teaching, we find in Luke chapter 4 in the beginning part that Jesus, described as full of the Holy Spirit, he's led into the wilderness to be tempted. You know, sometimes the Spirit leads us into those times of wilderness. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, is tempted, as it says, three times by, by the devil. And three times he resists temptation. And emerges emerges victorious and... and uh, we see in the verse right before we began reading, uh, verse 13 says, When the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Was not the last time that Jesus would be, att- would be tempted to sin, to give up his mission, to give up the, the plan that, that the Father um, and, and the Godhead had designed to rescue lost uh, humanity. But now here in verse 14, he returns in the power of the Spirit. There it is again. So the Spirit alights on him at his baptism, empowers him, leads him into the wilderness to be tempted, and now Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returns to Galilee. And it says in verse 14, a report went out, about Jesus. Now Luke doesn't say why a report was going out because up to this point um, nothing is recorded that he, has, that he has done publicly. Could possibly be the, the kind of miraculous sights that were seen at his baptism. Uh, it could be at this point that, that Luke has just not reported some of the things that Jesus has done. But he's starting to get a reputation. And it says in verse 15, he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. So he, he came to be known as a teacher, a rabbi. And now he ends up in Nazareth, verse 16, his hometown. Anybody ever go back to your hometown? I, I went back this summer. I know this is going to shock some of you, but I went back for my 50th high school reunion. And you must be thinking, well, you must have graduated high school at about four years old. But uh, um, no, that's not the case. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I talked about knee replacements with more people than I care to. So we're all getting a little bit old. So Jesus goes back to his hometown and uh, Luke has something to say about that later, which we won't get into. But basically, they were just kind of like, who's this? We thought this was just the carpenter, the son of the carpenter. But he begins teaching in the synagogue. So verse 16, it says, as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. Now notice it's his custom to go to the synagogue on the Sabbath let me just encourage you to follow the example of our Lord and make it your custom to gather with God's people. I know there are always things that come about uh, and, and sometimes we are unable to, but let those times be few. Let not little things keep you away from this body of believers so that we may encourage one another and we may uh, impart uh, faith to one another. We may um, uh, strengthen one another in the Lord. So he goes to the custom and it says at the end of verse 16, he stood up to read. This brings us to our second point, And that is that Jesus... Not only begins his public ministry, but he defines his public ministry. Jesus defines his public ministry. So he's he's given the scroll, verse 17, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. Possibly, there was an order in the synagogue to the readings that they would do, and he was handed the scroll of Isaiah. Each, Each book was on a separate scroll. And so it says he found, he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. Now what he's going to here is Isaiah chapter 61, and in particular verses 1 and 2, which speaks of the servant of the Lord who in Isaiah is, is a, uh, an anonymous servant that Isaiah speaks of. And there are several uh, throughout the book of Isaiah, what are called servant songs. And, and just uh, talking about this servant of the Lord, we know this now to be pointing to Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Now I invite you, uh, keep your finger here in Luke 4 and turn back to Isaiah 61. And let's read what Jesus was reading. Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. Do you notice a major difference there? If you keep that slide right there on the, on the screen, that last one. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, that's where Jesus in Luke chapter 4 stops. Kind of mid-sentence. Now there are no verses, there's no chapters. He just found the place in the... In the uh, in the scroll, and he began to read, and he stops. And that was something that, that the, the readers of the synagogue did not do. In fact, they tended to read long passages of Scripture and then have someone speak on it or teach on it. And he reads a short passage, and he stops almost mid-sentence. And it's that middle phrase that you see on the slide there, the day of vengeance of our God that Jesus does not read in, Luke, uh, in the Luke account. Now why is that? Well, we know that the servant of the Lord is, is the Messiah, is the Messiah figure who for them was to come and for us has come in the, in the person of Jesus. What Isaiah anticipates is that the work of the Messiah is one work. But Jesus knows it, and we know it, as divided into two. Divided into two appearances. The first work that Jesus came to do was to work salvation for us. Not to bring the day of vengeance. That is reserved for his his coming, his second coming, which we anticipate. So by virtue of of omitting it here in the book of Luke, Jesus is saying something very particular. He's saying, this is why I've come, to bring good news to the poor. And by omission, we can can look at that and we can say, okay, we know there's a second coming because he said he would come again. And his second coming will be to, to bring that day of the Lord that the prophets Uh, talk about again and again, the day of vengeance where, where sin will be dealt with. My friends, that day is coming. Do not delay in coming to Jesus Christ in faith for your salvation, for your rescue from that day. Now Jesus says, I have come, he says, the Spirit of the Lord, verse 18, is upon me. We're back in Luke 4 now. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Now that word anointed is the word from which we get the word Messiah. That's what Messiah means, the anointed one. It's also in the Greek, the word from which we get Christ. So as we've said here before, when we say Jesus Christ, it's not Jesus' first name and his last name, it's Jesus Messiah, Jesus the Anointed One, Jesus the One who has been chosen by God the Father to bear the sins of the world. He has anointed me. Then I want to skip down here to verse 20. We'll come back to the text from Isaiah. But in verse 20 it says, "He rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. So they would stand to read, sit, uh, sit to teach. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. What are they thinking? Maybe they're thinking, well, that was short. Maybe we'll get home in time for, you know, beat the crowd at the buffet or something like that. Maybe they're thinking, why did he stop in the middle? Regardless, verse 21, this is, this is incredible. And he began to say to them, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing that just gives me chills can you imagine an ancient scripture and someone coming in and saying reading it and saying this has been fulfilled today I am the fulfillment of this I am the, servant, uh, the sermon. I am the message, the good news that is being proclaimed to the poor and the liberty proclaimed to the captives. It's me. That's an incredible thing. Now Jesus in this reading, uh, this, this reading from Isaiah, uh, mentions four groups Did you catch that? The Spirit of the Lord, verse 18, is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed. We have the poor, the captive, the blind, and the oppressed. The scripture promises good news liberty, recovery of sight, healing, wholeness, shalom to all these broken, fallen groups. And we are all part of all of those groups. Jesus came to meet our very needs where where we have them the most. Now, what are the characteristics of these groups? I, I think of the poor... Let's think first, before we we get all spiritual here, let's think first of, of just what it means in the moment, in space and time. To be poor is not just to have a lack of something, a lack of resources. To be poor is to be neglected, abandoned, not considered, not seen by others. If we drive by someone who is, who is out there with a the sign by the highway, we avert our eyes. We don't want to notice them. There was a song a number of years ago talking about the poor and describing them as someone no one knows. The poor have the indignity of receiving charity. And if you've ever been poor, and if you've ever been at a point where you've had to receive charity, you know what that means. Because we all have within us this sense that if someone's going to do something nice for us, we have to pay it back somehow. Think about it. Someone invites you for dinner, and what's the first thing you say? Oh, can we bring anything? Because heaven forbid that you would receive something with empty hands. Oh, we'll have to have you over again sometime. Payback. The poor do not have that option. They receive charity knowing they cannot pay it back. The second group is the poor. Uh, I'm sorry, the second group are the captives. Now the Jews of that time would see themselves as being captive to the Roman Empire. They would see that captivity. They would also, from the book of Isaiah, they would know about the captivity that was to come as they were um, hauled off to Babylon in, in Jewish history. We, of course, see it in a different way. In being in bondage to sin. In bondage and captivated by sinful habits that we just cannot break. Patterns of living that that we say again and again, Oh, why did I do that? The third group is the blind. Now, of course, there are people who are physically blind people who have severely um, degenerated eyesight, and that's a burden. But speaking spiritually, there are blind people all around us. Maybe today you are blind. Maybe today you are unaware of the peril that you are in if you do not know Jesus Christ. The blind are close minded They don't want to listen. They're earthly-minded. Everything, Every bit of reality is right here. It's in the material world. Paul describes it as our lives before Christ where we, we walked in the futility of our minds, darkened in our understanding. There's a hardness of heart when our mind is blinded. And then finally, there's the oppressed. And again, the, the, the Jews of Jesus' day and before would, would think of the oppression of Rome and think of the oppression of living under that where they cannot uh, live in the same way that they, that they might have. We look at the, the oppression of sin We look at the oppression of guilt that you feel every time that you do that sin again and you feel the weight and the guilt of it. And Jesus has come to say, I'm the fulfillment of this prophecy that that promises good news to the poor, liberty to the captives sight to the blind, and liberty to those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now we have to be careful here. Some people see in this passage here, they see in the gospel a path to material prosperity, physical health. They see a way to greater wisdom and understanding They see a method of personal improvement and a means to social justice and liberation, particularly of those who are marginalized. But I will say this, the gospel is not less than that, but it is so much more. Jesus came to bring eternal hope, not temporal hope. Eternal hope to those broken down, disaffected, living sin sick and needy lives. And Jesus is the answer to that. We don't need liberty as much as we need a liberator, we don't need sight. As much as we need the giver of sight, we need Jesus Christ. And Jesus said in that moment, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your very presence. This was the aim of his mission. He continued to work that out throughout the the three years or so that he ministered here on earth by healing the sick and raising the dead and providing sight to the blind feeding the hungry, but doing so much more than that, paying the penalty. Now let's think about, just for a moment, um, this phrase, to proclaim good news to the poor. I like to ask questions of the text when I read it. And why does that say, why did Jesus say to the poor? Why didn't he say, why didn't the scripture say in Isaiah to to proclaim good news to everyone? Well, before we spiritualize it, and I know we know that we're all poor in a sense. But before we jump to that, let's think about the ministry, and how the Bible speaks of the poor, the materially poor in our midst. The Old Testament often speaks about how the poor should be taken care of, how the farmer should plow his field and harvest his field, but not all the way up to the edges and to the corners, so that the poor could come and and glean from the harvest, and provide for themselves. Jesus validated his ministry by preaching to the poor. You don't have to turn there, but uh, in Matthew 11, there came a point where John the Baptist in prison, um, it says, When John heard in prison about the deeds of, of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come? Or shall we look for another? John knew that he was the forerunner of the Messiah. And here's Jesus of Nazareth. And John, even though it's his cousin, and at one point said, um, Behold the Lamb of God. But he's got a moment here in prison where he's a little bit down. No surprise there. And he just says, "Are Are you really the one? And Jesus says this, go and tell John what you see and hear. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear and the dead are raised up and the poor have good news preached to them. Jesus is indicating that his his ministry is validated. I am the Messiah because I'm out here Among other things, preaching to the poor. Jesus sometimes directed the gospel call to the poor. Later in in Matthew 11, this is verses 25 and following, it says, At that time Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father. For such was Your gracious will. Now, the wise and understanding would have been of reference to the higher echelons of society, but to these little children, and Jesus said, "Right, you give a cup of water to me uh, to one of these little children. You've given it to me." He encouraged partiality to the poor. Some of sometimes his instructions were. Give to the poor. Invite the poor. In Luke, he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. You see, Jesus understood that there's something about being materially poor that makes you more receptive to the gospel. I think it has to do with our lack of self sufficiency. One phrase we use here a lot of of the time in, in describing faith in Jesus Christ is reaching out the empty hand of faith. If you're rich, you may not have an empty hand. You with me? You may think, well, I got a little bit of self sufficiency here, I'm pretty good. We're rich in our hearts, you know, we, we've got self-sufficiency and we just, I'll let Jesus take care of the rest. He'll just meet up the deficit. It doesn't work that way. And the poor know what it's like to have empty hands. And I think they're able more easily to spiritualize that and understand that to come to Jesus Christ, they got to come in their poverty. And until we all realize that, we will not be poor in spirit, as, as he talks about. Now, this has, been, this has been the way of things throughout church history. Let me read a, a, a couple of portions here. Historically, this has been true. Church growth has been most rapid among the poor. Sociologically speaking, the roots of Christianity have most often been among the masses. Ernest Trolls writes, The early church sought and won her new adherents chiefly among the lower classes in the cities. Members of the well-to-do, educated upper classes only began to enter the church in the second century, and then only very gradually. Tertullian could say in the second century, The uneducated are always a majority with us. John Wesley said in 1771, Everywhere we find the laboring part of mankind the readiest to receive the gospel. One example uh, was uh, Adoniram uh, Judson, a famous missionary to, to Burma. He went and sought out the higher caste. And... He was looking for the higher-class Burmese as people to evangelize. And something interesting happened. Along the way, he took in a a poor member of the uneducated Karen tribe. And this man became a Christian and went back to his people and began preaching the gospel. And what resulted is great numbers of these Karen People turned to Christ while relatively little fruit was seen by Judson among the higher class. Now what does this mean? This means that we as a church must follow our Lord, follow the example of our Lord Jesus Christ and not neglect the poor. Heaven forbid that this church in this place becomes a bastion of upwardly mobile, suburban life where we all think the same and we all go to the same parties and we all have the same thing and we're neglecting the mission field right outside of our doorstep. What I want to encourage us to do and what I want to encourage you to do is to think about how your life impacts the poor of this world. Now, when Jesus here says, I've come to preach good news to the poor, what does good news to the poor look like? Well, it's not not a blank check. That's not what they need. They need the life-changing gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel where we all recognize that, as it says in 2 Corinthians, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. All of us, if we have come to Christ, any who have come to Christ, know that we come with empty hands. We come as a poor person. We come recognizing our spiritual poverty, our brokenness. We're captive. We're blind. We're oppressed. We're poor. And we say, Lord Jesus, save me, please. We cry out for mercy. And the life of Jesus Christ, that he lived perfectly in obedience to the law, the death that he died to, to receive in his body the punishment for our sins, is the gospel. It's what saves us. The poor need this. The poor also need love. And as a Christian, as a body of, as Christians here, as a body of believers, we need to think uh, uh, aggressively about what this means for our ministry to the poor. Now, many of you took ornaments from the the tree for Peak Academy and have provided gifts and uh, you know, just some, some examples of, of physical uh, tokens of love and so on for the students and teachers uh, at Peak Academy. That's what I'm talking about. But beyond that, the gospel. Many of you here uh, support, support a child or, or more than one through Compassion International. If that opportunity comes around again, I hope more and more of us will sign on for that. There's nothing quite like it to impact someone across the world and, re- and reduce poverty in the name of Jesus. Now the Isaiah reading here finishes with what I think is kind of a, a general statement here after he's said... Uh, what all he has been anointed to do, and it ends with to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, year here doesn't mean like 2024. It means the time. This is now the time of the Lord's favor, and Jesus saying, I have fulfilled this by coming, and now it's the time of the Lord's favor. We are living in that time. Today is the day of salvation. If you're here today and you have not received the grace that is in Jesus Christ, I invite you, just where you sit, to call out to him. Do not linger, for the day of vengeance is coming. The day when it will be too late, when it's no longer the time of God's favor, but the time of of God's judgment as he brings judgment and righteousness to this world. But beyond that, people of Steadfast, I encourage you to think what would it be like to be more intentional in your personal life and in our life as a church to bring gospel joy to the poorest among us, the least of these in Asheville and beyond. It's certainly the gospel message, but it's certainly loving our neighbor the way Christ loved his neighbor. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for these um, words from your gospel. I pray, Lord, that we would, um, they would burn into our hearts and be, be convicting to us and encouraging to us at the same time. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to invite you now to our time of response as we come, uh, as we do every week. Uh, we come to the table of the Lord to receive uh, the the elements, the, the bread and the, the cup, representing the body and the blood of Christ that was broken and shed for us. As you come, come with repentance, come with a a fresh heart to God. Receive from Him. Imagine, as it were, that you are receiving this from Christ. Hear His words. This is my body broken for you. Take this cup. This is the blood of the new covenant in my blood. Receive them uh, from Christ. And um, may you go just ever more thankful for what, for what Jesus Christ has come. We're going to take a minute or so uh, to, to just think, to reflect on these things. Uh, I invite you to uh, uh, you know, sit there quietly. Um, when I get up to, re- to receive communion, that, that'll signal that the tables are open. We'll begin in the back, come on down, uh, and then just exit out the sides as we always do. Uh, you, you take the element, dip in, uh, the bread, dip it into the, the cup, the wine or juice, as your uh, conscience would allow. Um, so let's uh, let's receive from the Lord.